Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hi, Jerry. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Oh, I'm so delighted. I'm a longtime listener, so I'm thrilled to be on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, longtime listener, which is great to have you on here as well. And of course, we work together a bit as well on some of your recent adventures. Very excited to dig into those, hear the story, not only that I've heard maybe in some of our conversations, but of course, hear some of the details I probably didn't get a chance to hear yet. And of course, share that with our audience as well. So thank you so much again for joining us today on the show. Um, would love just to start with a bit about your background, if you could tell us where you're originally from, where around the world you've traveled to or had an opportunity to live in so far, and where you're living right now, that would be great. Sure. So I grew up in Southwest Michigan. My first trip outside the U.S. was a Toronto exchange program in junior high school, Toronto, Canada. So that was fun for a week. I lived with a family there. I also went on a church trip to Haiti with my father when I was in probably junior high school. And then in my junior year of high school, there was a presentation asking families to host uh, students from abroad. I went to the presentation and I thought, I want to do this. I want to go overseas. So uh, my parents generously agreed that I could do that. And I know it was probably a stretch for them. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a teacher. They were preparing for me to go off to college the next year. But they agreed and I was accepted into the American Field Service Program. I wanted to go to Australia but they gave me the option of Tokyo, Thailand, or Laos. And Tokyo was the only place I'd heard of. On that <laughs> <list>. <laughs> so I said yes. And I uh, shipped off for about a 10-month program in Tokyo, Japan. This was pre-internet. So it was quite a big culture shock and also just a real experience of being completely immersed into another culture and not knowing the language or really anything about it. So it was quite the year. So what was that experience like, though? I mean, just in terms of actually integrating there and being able to make the most of that 10-month experience, I guess you knew at the end of it that you'd be coming back to the U.S., but how did you take advantage of that time and what did you fill your time with as part of that program? Well, I was living with a Japanese family and attending a Japanese school. And, you know, Japanese schools are very intense. So it was five and a half days a week. If we wanted to go anywhere on the weekend, we had to get permission from our homeroom teacher to do that. So there was a lot of just emotional challenges, I think, because it was so different and because I didn't speak the language. My host sister spoke English better than I spoke Japanese. Mm. I learned more as time went on. I was never super fluent, but I got by just fine. And I look back on it as a terrific, terrific mm. experience. So I have no regrets about it. Although recently I was reading some of my letters that I wrote home and I was pretty homesick for mm. a while. Mm. It, I was pretty ready to come back, but I just wouldn't give up. And I'm glad I stuck it out. So in the end, I feel like it was just a transformative, excellent experience, but it was challenging at the time. 
So where did things go for you from there? I guess going back uh, then to the U.S., how did your interest in going abroad and, and travel develop from that standpoint? I had already been accepted into university in Indiana, so I headed off to Indiana, and it wasn't long before I realized I was getting bored. I really wanted to, I expected and wanted to have a life or career overseas. Instead, I ended up going on an exchange program to Washington, D.C. for a semester, and I loved it. And the moment I could, I went back there. I persuaded my school to let me complete my studies at American University and George Washington University in D.C., got an internship in a senator's office, and that became my life. And I think what D.C. did for me was it had enough international flair that I was happy there, and I enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I didn't know how to look for a job overseas, Mm. and at that time, I think you probably had to find other resources that I didn't have. And so mm. it simply it simply never happened. But it's something that I've always wanted to do. And so the past few years, I've been rather obsessed with the idea of living in another country. And, and that's where you came in. I, I started listening to your podcast, listening to other people's experiences and trying to figure out how I could make that part of my life. That's awesome. And what really sparked that for you in the last couple of years in particular? Of course, it maybe could have happened sooner or later for that matter. But Was there anything about the last couple of years that made it feel like it was the right time to start pursuing this? Yes. My daughter went off to college, and so we were empty nesters. So so I could seriously think about traveling more and potentially living overseas. I looked a lot at countries in Central and South America. I've done a lot of research about Panama, Belize, and other countries, Mexico. And initially, that's what I thought would make sense for me. But recently, two things happened. One is that my daughter has been accepted into grad school in Norway, so she's going to be in Europe. And I don't have to follow her, but it might be (laughs) nice to be on the same continent. Sure. And then the second thing is that um, my husband, Kevin, said that he was interested more in Europe. So that was another factor for us to seriously think about making it part of our plans. Right, right. And if I remember correctly, you recently also got your passport to at least between the region, let's say. So we get to hear a bit about that process as well. Yes, I, I'm super lucky. So I grew up with my grandmother who lived in Chicago, did not speak much English. She probably did, but she was afraid to. Uh, she's from Lithuania and she and her family fled during World War II. As a result, I learned that I could apply for reinstatement of Lithuanian citizenship. And it took me a little while to find the right legal firm to do that. Mm. I was very, very nervous. Sending money and working with a company Mm. in another country is terrifying, to be honest. Mm. (laughs) But I did pursue it. And so Sydney and I both received Lithuanian passports. We are dual US and Lithuanian citizens, which just opens up the world for us as far as being able to travel, live and work in Europe. We're very excited. Yeah, that's amazing. Big congrats on that for sure. And it'd be good to hear a bit about, as you said, it was a bit scary to try to, uh, and difficult perhaps to find the right firm to go for to help you in this process. So do you have any pointers that you could share with other people that might be in the same boat or trying to just to find someone to work with in another country? Yes. My internet research turned up a couple of uh, legal firms and I contacted them and I remember the one wanted us to spend about $3,500 each and send it upfront with no guarantee 
as to whether mm. we would be accepted or not. And it made me very nervous. I mean, I'm sending money online to someone I've never met. I can't really verify. So somewhere in my Google search results, it served me up an ad for something called Injure, I-N-J-U-R-E law firm. And they do a lot of this work and they charge on a success basis. Mm. So I was still nervous because to complete this process, you have to send a lot of personal information Mm. to someone Mm. you don't know. So one thing I did was I found one of the testimonials And I tracked down this person through Mm -hmm. Facebook and reached out to her cold and said, hey, is this for real? She said, oh, absolutely. Yes. I was, I'm so happy. I got my citizenship and so did my daughter. And so that kind of made me feel feel more comfortable. But I would say, David, literally until three days ago when I got this passport in the mail, I still wasn't convinced it was real. (laughs) (laughs) I said, probably, I think it was about $4,000 U.S., to the law firm that helped us. This is for the two of us. I spent about $850 on apostilling documents. Mm, right. And then a few miscellaneous, you know, a few hundred dollars. We had to go to New York to the consulate to do our bi- biometrics, mm. et cetera. And I still wasn't sure, but I got the passport in the uh, mail and we are official. So it ended up being all worth it in the end. Absolutely. That's an amazing story and super inspirational for me. And I'm sure plenty of the people listening to this episode, but So kind of more recently, I know you've been also doing a bit more of nomadic living and going over to Europe the last couple of months of, let's say, end of last year into the first couple months of this year. So it'd be great just to hear about how you thought about trying to make that trip happen, what steps that you took to to do it, to, to plan it, to figure out where you wanted to go and make the most of this trip so that you could figure out your next steps in terms of trying to go abroad longer term. Yes. I've been doing a lot of research. As I said, I listened to your podcast and I eventually ended up hiring you for some coaching because I felt like I was sort of caught in analysis paralysis where I just kept researching and it wasn't happening. The other challenge was that my husband wasn't totally on board with the idea. He's And he's still not completely sure he wants to move to Europe. If it were me, I'd be there now, right now Mm. at this moment. (laughs) But it was helpful to have you to be able to answer questions for us and also for him to be able to ask questions and get an answer from someone objective who could provide some perspective rather than me saying, this is what we should do, or this is what we should do. And I remember he asked you a question that I thought was really a good question. And he said, you know, we don't know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. So we want you to make sure that we're asking the right questions. And I think that's a good reason to work with a coach if you're feeling unsure about the process. And what it did for me was it just helped me move things forward so I could actually make this happen. And so what finally happened was our daughter graduated from college, and then she was supposed to be going to Norway for grad school and couldn't get in due to COVID. So she had a gap year. And she knew how much I wanted to go to Europe. And she said, you know what, this is probably the only chance, this may be the only chance we'll get to do this together as a family. Who knows? She's going off to grad school, then her working life, and we don't know what will happen. She said, let's do it. I have been working remotely for a financial technology company for a few years. Unfortunately, at the last minute, they decided that they could not accommodate me working as an employee from outside the U.S., So literally the week before we left, I found out that I would no longer have a job. Mm -hmm. I am consulting with them. So it's all amicable. It's working out fine. But that was quite, (laughs) Mm -hmm. quite a big surprise. And 
it was just became a, a matter of now or never. It felt like it was the right time to get out. So we left in November of 2021 and planned a three-month trip. At that time, I was trying to work with the Schengen zone rules and stay 90 days in the Schengen zone. I forgot that when we were in the UK, that wasn't in the Schengen zone. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I cut us a little bit short. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We could have stayed a little (laughs) longer, but it's all right. It was a, it was a, in the end, it was about a three month trip. It was fantastic. And I don't regret it one bit. That's awesome. So where did you decide to go ultimately across then uh, the UK and I believe in Portugal as well? So where were the spots that you wanted to be and how did you pick those cities that you thought these would be good places for us to try out for a few months? Portugal was our main destination just because we've heard so many good things about living in Portugal. And also because if this Lithuanian visa didn't come through, we know that that's a possibility as Americans for a place that Mm -hmm. we could live in Europe. So that was our main destination, but flying directly from the U.S., we live in Florida, to Portugal was just going to be pretty long, and we decided to break it up by starting out somewhere closer. So we flew into London. We spent a week as tourists in London, and then we had a house sit in Filey, UK, which is sort of about five hours train ride northwest of London. Then we went to Paris for a week. And then we flew to Porto, Portugal, where you are, Mm -hmm. and started our journey. And we spent two months traveling all throughout Portugal. There's still so many places that we haven't seen, but I feel like we did get to see a lot of just wonderful, remarkable places. And then in the end, we flew back out of Paris. Okay, great. And could you talk a bit about your housing experience? Because I think that's something that I'm interested in doing even as a way to better get around and find places to stay and have cool experiences. And obviously it was a big part of your trip. And as I understand your travels in general, so what is it like to be a house sitter and how do people get involved in something? like? Yes. So a few years ago, after reading about other people doing house sitting, we decided we were going to spend some time in outside of Florida during the summer. It's too hot here. We didn't have any reason to be here. And so I signed up for trusted house sitters. And at the time I was going to Utah for work And we immediately were able to land a house sit with a woman who was in Salt Lake City. I was able to meet her in person on another business trip, make her feel comfortable. It was her first house sit. And she accepted us. And from there, we spent that entire summer house sitting in Salt Lake City, Utah, Boise, Idaho, and a month in Portland, Oregon. And it was just fantastic. We had a great time. So through those more local or U.S. house sits, we were able to get some references. So the website, again, we use is trustedhousesitters.com. It's not expensive. And for us, it was just fantastic. We also later did a house sit in Denver, Colorado. So we had some references when we went overseas. Now, I will say that going from the U.S., to being overseas and trying to land house sits this past year was a little bit challenging. And I don't blame the owners because they have to feel confident that we'd actually be able to get into the countries, right, Mm -hmm. with COVID Mm -hmm. restrictions. So we didn't get a lot of house sits, but we did have one in, like I mentioned, Filey, UK. And then we had a two and a half week house sit in Faro, Portugal, which is in the Algarve. And both of them gave us a really terrific experience, What it, feeling what it's like to live in this place, mm-hmm. not just to be a tourist, because our trip was 
we were on the move a lot, but these experiences let you feel like you're living there. So when people talk about house sitting, a lot of times they just think free lodging. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is free lodging. In the case of trusted house sitters, you don't get paid anything, but you don't pay for your lodging. But you do have the responsibility of animals, you know, dogs or cats or whatever you end up house sitting. It could be other types of animals. So there is responsibility involved. But the other trade-off is that you are living in this area. And I just think there's something really valuable about that experience that I appreciate with house sitting. So for us, it's something I would love to do again and fully intend to do again when we get back to Europe. Yeah, that's great. I look forward to getting involved myself and always good to spend some time with with animals and and, uh, get an experience of living somewhere. Like you said, that can be hard to do if you're just in an Airbnb, a hostel, a hotel. So I think that's a really unique and interesting experience. I'd like to look into myself a bit more. But I would like to jump back as I probably should have (laughs) asked about this first. But you were saying that uh, I think it's an important point that you were trying to work, continue to work remotely with your employer back there in the United States and found out seemingly near the last second, the last minute of your plans and travels to that you would not be able to do that. And it's great that it's worked out from a consulting perspective for you. But what was that conversation like in the lead up to taking your trip? And of course, getting that news, did it change your plans or thinking about what you wanted to do on this trip and how to approach it at all? Mentally, I had determined that I was going to do this no matter what. And Years ago, I was self-employed for over 10 years. So I had had that experience. Now, it had been about 12 years since I had been self-employed, but I knew I could do that. In fact, I had maintained my corporation through that time so I could immediately go back into billing directly you know, as the owner of a, a corporation. So I wasn't too terribly worried. And in the end, it ended up being just fantastic because I was able to take a few weeks off as vacation. They kept me on part-time through the end of the year, and it made it much easier to transition because one of the things that I wanted to try by working remotely from Europe was a flipped schedule. I'm much more of a later-in-the-day person when it comes to work, and I get going kind of slowly in the morning. I'm not a morning person. So my thought was that if I could go out and just enjoy myself go sightseeing, do whatever it is we wanted to do during the day, and then work in the evening, that might be a great schedule for my preferences. And that turned out to be correct. I really enjoyed working that way. I felt like we were doing something fun every day, even if it was something small. We would get out, do something fun, and then in the evening, we'd come back and I would work. And having moved into a consulting role where I didn't have to worry so much about internet issues, Mm -hmm. which were a huge hassle in some cases, or about the exact time that I was online, just made it a perfect combination. So I'm glad it worked out the way it did. But I will tell you, David, two days before we left, I broke out in hives and Mm. my arms were just inflamed. I was, this has never happened to me. I was itching. I I thought for sure I contracted something. I didn't know it was COVID. Of course, the tests were negative, but it was stress Mm. because once Mm. I got in London and once we started moving around there, I cleared right up and I was just fine. And it has not recurred since, knock on wood. Right, right. Yeah, I can imagine that's a lot to take on. And of course, a, a big change to your employment situation could take such a 
wonderful thing and turn it into something that is obviously considerably more stressful to deal with. So glad that it cleared up as you got there and got comfortable and, and found a rhythm that worked for you. So as you were adjusting to trying to work abroad, did you have any particular issues or things that you needed to change in terms of your business or set up or deal with some of these internet issues that you mentioned as well? What, what sort of issues did you experience? I ran into two major issues. One was the internet. Airbnb does not do a great job of helping you understand which places really have good, reliable internet. It's actually pretty pathetic considering they're trying to attract more remote workers or people who want to be digital nomads. As an example, the very first Airbnb we stayed in in the suburbs of London, I was testing my internet speed. It was running around four or five, Mm. which Mm. is I couldn't even do a Zoom call with that. It was awful. Wow. I could do email, and that was about it. Throughout Portugal, we found it to be very up and down. I did get in the habit after that of asking people if they knew their internet speed. Most did not. They'd usually say something like, no one's complained. <laughs> Other people <laughs> right. have worked here, and no one's complained. So I, in my Airbnb reviews, would always list the internet speed. But in Porto, for example, the internet speed at the place we were staying, I'm not sure what it was about, but it fluctuated. One minute it was 10, the next it was almost 200. So mm-hmm. I have no idea what was going on. But I would say that was a huge challenge. I did before we leave, I bought a hotspot. We had Google Fi for our phones, and I could hotspot off of that. And that was pretty reliable. And then I bought a hotspot, but I found that the hotspot, it was an international one, but I found that it pretty much worked when the internet worked and it didn't mm-hmm. when the internet didn't. Yeah. So it didn't really <laughs> add a lot of right. value to me. The other issue I ran into was I should have, before we left, downloaded a VPN to my Mm -hmm. computer Mm -hmm. because I had just sold a website and the money had been put into PayPal. I couldn't get the money out because PayPal thought I was Mm -hmm. acting fraudulently because I was Mm -hmm. logging in from the UK. And trying to get a hold of customer service Mm -hmm. was a huge pain. So finally, I was able to download a VPN. And then with that VPN, I could pretend that I was in Miami, Florida, and do whatever it was that I needed to do without any kind of issues or without it assuming that I was in another country and, you know, showing me things that weren't really relevant to what I needed. Right. So outside of the house sitting experiences, where of course you have a certain place that you need to go to, how did you decide which other cities that you wanted to hit on your trip? And as you thought about potentially places to live, for example, in Portugal, did you just do a lot of you know thinking and analyzing and researching of places that you might want to live, or did you just do it a little bit more free flowing and see where the, the trip took you outside of those boundaries of the places of the house sitting experiences that you had lined up? We didn't plan a lot when it came to Portugal. We did. We knew we wanted to see Porto, probably Lisbon, and we had the house sit arranged in Faro, and we arranged that pretty early. So Faro's in the south in the Algarve. So once we left Porto, we actually didn't have specific plans, and we ended up taking a train down to Sesimbra, which is a little bit of a beach ocean resort. Had a wonderful few days there. Then we took the train down to Faro, and we completed our house sit. At that point, we were still sort of up in the air in terms of all we knew was the date we flew out of Porto. That was all we knew. So then we started driving. We rented a car and drove 
around the coast of Portugal. So we drove to Sagres on the tip of Portugal and up and around and ended up in Peniche, which is a surfer community, and then back down to Lisbon. And from Lisbon, we ended up getting to Porto so we could fly out. So we just saw some amazing, amazing places. And it was a bit of a scouting trip because I've been Mm -hmm. following Facebook groups about Portugal. I've been reading articles and there are all these places and that I had heard about. And it's interesting when you really experience it and you say, granted, it was short. It wasn't a long experience. But for example, I'd heard a lot about Portimao and I thought, oh, this sounds magical. I didn't like it personally. Mm -hmm. It has a beautiful beach, but it felt very much like South Florida (laughs) in terms of the way the the city is set up. So it didn't appeal that much to us. On the other hand, we got up to Algeciras, the East Coast, and I can't even describe the beautiful scenery Mm. with the cliffs and the waves and everything else. It was just stunning. And I would have liked to have spent a little bit time, more time there, but we kept, you know, going up. Mm. So it really worked out well for us. Now, granted, we were traveling during COVID Mm -hmm. and this was at a time when there were a lot of restrictions. In fact, if you recall, that's when the Omicron wave was starting. Mm -hmm. We got into the country right before that. And when we checked into the hotel in Sakresh, for example, we had to take a COVID test right there Mm -hmm. on the spot Mm -hmm. and show that we were negative to get into the hotel. So what that meant was it wasn't hard for us to find lodging. Sure, sure. From what I understand, I wouldn't recommend this in the summer if you're trying to go to the outcome yeah. and just winging it. I, I don't think that's usually recommended. But for us, it worked out very well. And it allowed us to see what we thought of a place. And then sometimes we extended our stay. The one Airbnb, for example, near Paniche was just great. It was spacious, had great heaters, which we were cold a lot while we were in mm. Portugal, mm. had great heaters and great internet. And so we used that as a jumping point to go to places in that area. And it just worked out really well for us. So big picture, what were your overall impressions of this experience? It sounds like it was overall, you know, a very positive one for you. But I'm also curious about if you could share any of the thoughts of your daughter that you traveled with or your husband as well, because Of course, you were very eager to go abroad, and I suppose your daughter as well with her graduate school coming up in Norway. But I'm interested to hear a bit about how your husband uh, took the experience and and how maybe each of you dealt with it, you know, in your own way to the extent that you can, I don't know, interpret that or share that. Well, the last week that we were in Paris before we flew out, Sydney and I were walking down the street and we said, we should just stay. We should just stay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we did have to get back because we had our appointments at the uh, consulate in New York to get our complete our passport process. So we knew we had to go back. Kevin wasn't quite as sold on living full-time in Europe as I am. So that's going to be a challenge. We're going to have to figure out a compromise where Mm. we'll probably have a home base here in Florida where we live and then be able to travel more frequently for more extended periods of time. If it were up to me, I could easily see myself moving to Lisbon. I just Mm. fell in love with Lisbon. I could easily see Mm. myself living there for a while and using that as a spring point to explore more of Portugal and then ultimately though more of Europe because there's so many places that I want to see and now I will yeah. be able to travel more freely. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So as you think about maybe your next steps from here is of course a few months ago you came back from the trip. Now you've got your passport in hand as well. 
It sounds like you have some other nomadic plans in the United States in the near term. So it'd be great to hear about what you're thinking about in the near future and how you might be able to leverage the additional flexibility that you have given the passport going forward. Yes. So we sold our house. We'd already downsized a couple of times in the after my daughter graduated from high school. So we were living in a very small house. We sold that before this trip. And so we are a bit nomadic at the moment. We are based in Florida right now, but we're going to be spending the summer in a few different places. We've got three house sits lined up. And so we'll be traveling around the eastern side of the U.S. this summer and then probably coming back to Florida to you know, really ensure our residency here Mm -hmm. and then uh, look at future travel plans. Of course, she's going off to Norway and I would love to get to Norway at some point to see Mm -hmm. her while she's there. I don't know exactly what that looks like. And as I mentioned, I'm I'm ready to go. So in the event that Mm -hmm. that happens, I will be more than happy to get on a plane and head back (laughs) as soon as possible. (laughs) Yeah, completely understood. Do you have any other thoughts or advice for people that are considering going abroad, um, you know, maybe becoming more nomadic and especially as it relates to taking a trip like this where you're able to actually see a place in person before, you know, jumping in with two feet? Yeah, if you have any sort of parting thoughts or advice, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So I would say two things, you know, one is if you can take a scouting trip to check a place out, I think it's helpful. The reality of places that you read about is sometimes different than what you experience. And then you'll get a feel for what makes sense for you. The one thing we didn't do that I regret and Mm -hmm. wish we had had more time to do was really spend some time getting to know people in the Mm -hmm. places where we were at. We were very much on the move. And unfortunately in Pharaoh, We had connected with a hiking group and planned to hike with other expats there, but between the weather and then Sydney and I got a stomach bug, that just didn't happen. So that was one thing we were missing was the connection to people who live there so we could see and maybe experience what it would be like to be Mm -hmm. there and to have that as a home base. So I'd probably recommend that if at all possible. And then the second thing is I really valued the coaching that we did with you. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, something worth considering because it is a big move. I've been working remotely for a few decades now, way before it was a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this was at a different level. And there were challenges that I just don't know that I would have thought through. And so it was helpful for me to get another perspective and also just to keep moving forward so that I didn't get caught up in researching so much that I didn't actually take action. So thank you for that, David. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And glad to have been able to play a role in that. Um, Definitely hope to be able to help others with that as well. And I know that one of the problems is to actually get this analysis paralysis that you talked about at the beginning, where I think human nature is to just keep looking for the perfect answer or just one more fact or piece of advice. And sometimes it's good just to go ahead and do it. So I think you've made a really good point there. When you did research for this trip, outside of, of course, our coaching, what sort of places did you look for information? It sounds like you had success in terms of Facebook groups. Was there anything in particular that stuck out or other you know, resources or things that you'd recommend to other people as they do this, a bit of their own research as well? 
Yes, I am an avid podcast listener, so I listen to a travel podcast. And then I also found this group on Facebook, Women Over 50 Moving to Portugal, which is the, just the friendliest Facebook group <laughs> I've ever been in. It's wonderful. I got to meet the moderator when I was there. She holds a weekly dinner in Lisbon, so I went to the dinner, and there were probably 15 people there. Mm-hmm. It was a lovely experience. So if you can find a, a good, supportive group like that, it can also go a long way toward making you feel more comfortable about the decision you're making. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your experience. It's been a pleasure hearing about it and even getting more of an update on my end than we were able to have prior to this call. But I really look forward to hearing about how your new nomadic adventures go and of course, where you end up abroad as well, perhaps in the future. So maybe down the road, we'll have an opportunity to have you on the show again. But in the meantime, Thank you again so much for sharing your knowledge and experience. Look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, David. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global Expat Empire community. Keep up to date on new Expat Empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.